0: Hi, everybody, it's Cheryl, and in this next episode, we welcome Andrea, a mom we met when all our kids went to preschool together. We ask Andrea to speak about growing up in a mixed family that spans generations and places Hawaii, Japan, Peru, and the Bay Area. Andrea, a longtime educator in Oakland Unified, shares about how her early experiences related to language and immigration shaped her passion for language justice and heart for newcomers. Working in education for 20 plus years, Andrea has made an indelible impact on a generation of OUSD students she has taught. She she shares some fun teacher stories that speak to her longevity, stories full of meaningful run-ins with former students that reflect the depth of her impact and care. Andrea drops some pearls of wisdom for young professionals who seek a career in education. Wisdom that can really apply to all of us in professions in which we use not only our critical thinking skills, but also our emotional energy. And lastly, we also hear about how motherhood shifted her work boundaries and how her daily routine as an Oakland teacher has made Oakland feel like home. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode. And a reminder to please tell your friends about the Oakland Asian Mom podcast and review us on Apple Podcasts. You are listening to the Oakland Asian Mom podcast.
0: Welcome, everybody, to our next episode of Oakland Asian Mom. And tonight we have a treat. We have our special guest, Andrea. And uh, we were just uh, reminiscing about how the three of our kids were in preschool together once upon a time, and uh, and Andrea has been a family friend of ours, of mine, uh, for a couple of years. So the reason why we wanted to ha- have her on the show was to hear about her thoughts on her, you know, multiracial identity, and also hear about her long time tenure as an educator in Oakland Unified. So welcome to the podcast. Andrea? Thanks.
2: Thanks for yeah. having
0: me. Yeah. And uh, before we start, we're wondering if you can share about your ethnic and cultural roots and how would descri- you would describe your partner and kids in terms of their kind of racial identity. And, you know, where did you grow up and where is home to you?
2: Okay. Um, so I am of mixed heritage. Uh, my father's family is from Peru in South America, and um, my mother's family is from Hawaii. Um, mm. I have actually um, Japanese ancestry on both sides, um, mm. but it, um, in both cases, there were some migratory stops before they landed in California. Um, my husband is Vietnamese. He was born in Vietnam and came here in elementary school. Um, and my kids, my kids are like <laughs> Asian mushpot. So I mean, yeah. they consider themselves Asian, Asian American. Um, and I think they're really aware of their like their heritage. But um, I, you know, if they spell it out, they're like we're Vietnamese and Japanese and Peruvian.
0: Mm. I see. Um,
2: but yeah. there's a lot of ands in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in Richmond, California, just uh, just north of here, and um, lived there until I went to Southern California in college.
0: Yeah, and what brought you back to Oakland,
2: or uh, the Bay, I should say? Yeah. Well. The Bay area was kind of a no-brainer for me after spending four years in Southern California. I was like, I got to get back home. <laughs> um, no offense. I know lots of people like.
0: Well, Sarah actually is from Southern California, yeah. but she, I'm she your lead. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. So I was, I was really eager to get back to the, to the East Bay. Um, and at the same time, I was ready for something a little different from Richmond. I wasn't really excited about running into people I went to high school with and all of that. So um, Oakland Oakland is a lot like kind of how I project Richmond will be like in 10 or 15 years. And that's kind of always yeah. been my sense of it. Um, so I was like, um, when the opportunity came up, I, I decided to, to move out here.
0: Yeah. And so, um, you know, talking about, you shared about the mush pot that your kids are, and, and you are in some ways a little bit of that too, right? Definitely. And so, you know, when you were a kid, how much were you aware about cultural differences um, between your parents who sounded like they were also a mix mm-hmm. of different heritages and cultures too? Yeah,
2: that's an interesting question. Um, I think... I, I was actually pretty aware of it in a lot of ways um also I mean my mom is like third generation in Hawaii so she's like you know Japanese Hawaiian but like strong emphasis on the like Hawaiian mm-hmm. um whereas my dad's family I mean they definitely were like kind of an immigrant family in a lot of the the like stereotypic ways um and there's definitely some like machista stuff happening in my dad's family that was, um, I think, that was not so predictable for my mom, mm-hmm. um, and so I think those kind of tensions came up um, sometimes when I was growing up. Um, also, we lived with my my dad's mom, my grandmother, who um, is you know first generation in the United States, um, so I think. It was awesome. Like I grew up speaking Japanese and Spanish at home,
1: mm-hmm. primarily
2: because we lived with her, oh, wow. um, but also like, you know, you have a third generation mom and a first generation grandma in the same house, and you see some, you see some differences, for sure. Yeah.
1: Where did your parents meet, Andrea?
2: Uh, they met here actually in Berkeley. Oh, okay. Um, my mom had. Um, had come here to cal for school Mm -hmm. and my dad's family um after moving to the united states they they ended up in in berkeley uh fairly soon after Mm -hmm. so he he actually went to high school here in well in berkeley Mm -hmm. um and then they met through some some social circles Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. And so you've talked about your Japanese, Hawaiian, and Peruvian roots. And so can you share with us what you appreciate or love about each of those sort of distinct
2: uh, culture and heritage? Yeah. In Hawaii, there's like a lot of comfort with people being mixed. Mm -hmm. um, And this kind of like, we're... We can hold that, and we can like enjoy each other's traditions and customs, and like, you know, like so many people are mixed in Hawaii. I I like really appreciate that kind of openness about it um, and welcomingness about it. Um, I think that's often a lot less true, at least kind of historically with um, mm-hmm. Japanese cultures and Japanese American communities. I mean now there's definitely a lot of mixed families, but um, that that openness is something that I really appreciate about um, kind of my Hawaiian heritage. Um, Japanese culture, I feel like there's a lot of just really beautiful kind of aesthetics, not just visually, but like, I think there's a kind of care um, and attentiveness to beauty in a lot mm-hmm. of like, Traditions that I really appreciate—it's um, kind of like a, a slow down and like you know, pay attention to detail um, kind of aesthetic that I that I think is really important um, and 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 really beautiful. Um, Peruvian culture, gosh, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think something they all have in common is, like, your family is super important, and mm-hmm. um, and your family is not just, like, the people you live with, but, like, your whole family. Um, mm-hmm. That's definitely something I feel I I really love Spanish, like, the Spanish language and literature. I feel mm-hmm. like in Peru, there's kind of similar to Hawaii. there's a really strong sense of, like, indigenous struggle, and, um, and kind of empowerment that I think is is something that I value a lot from that mm-hmm. that part of my heritage.
0: I'm just curious. Did you ever? Would you did you ever get the chance to visit any of those homelands when you were a young child? And if
2: so, like what was that trip like? Good question. Um, I actually have only been to Hawaii. Um, I I went there pretty with some regularity. Mm-hmm. Um, since I was young but I haven't been to either Japan or Peru um, when I was growing up there was a lot of civil strife in Peru um, mm-hmm. and so actually my my dad and my grandmother only went back a couple of times like in my lifetime and wow. I haven't made it back yet I, I definitely would you know I would um, and by the time I got to college it was something I was entertaining but I haven't made it back yet even yeah. 20 years after
0: that. Yeah. 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 Well, now that you are an adult and, you know, being raised in this um, racially and culturally, you know, mixed family, mm-hmm. did you have any like aha moments, you know, looking back? And, you know, do, are there any realizations about, uh, you know, your parents' relationship or struggles or tensions that are related to cultural or cross cultural differences?
2: I think my parents did a pretty amazing job of like looking for a common ground and finding mm-hmm. that and kind of elevating that as like our family's kind of cultural inheritance, um, which as a result meant that I think in a lot of ways, Japanese customs um, kind of and culture, I guess, kind of rose up as more prominent of the three, um, which I think, you know, like I think it's something that my partner and I are seeing as we're raising our kids. Like there's, there are some kind of shared things or things that are related culturally that I think we are, are trying to highlight. Um, but also I think we're, my partner and I are trying to also help them understand like differences between our respective cultures. And I think my, my parents were not as meta about it, if you will, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, well, that's, that was our upbringing, right, mm-hmm. Peruvian, mm-hmm. Hawaiian, um, but not necessarily, like, something that they really um, raised us to, to know, kind of, explicitly or to appreciate.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at Sarah, and wondering, because uh, she's raising, you know, biracial kids, too, and so... Have you experienced that, Sarah, in your kind of conversation with your husband of like common ground or?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we're both Christians, So that gives us like a common sort of like moral fabric in a way yeah. Um, yeah. about like generosity and hospitality and um, things like that. But I told him early on, um, you know, like I, I knew that white families are a little bit more, um, there's not as much of a, uh, kind of, you know, like taking care of your elders and things like that. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more independent. So when we were dating, I told him, listen, we're going to have to live with my parents. We may have to financially support them. And like, that just is what it is. And so I think like, um, and he was fine with it. And I think that comes from just our mm-hmm. our, our shared, um, not cultural, but just like our shared understanding of generosity and hospitality. So, but it wasn't a culture, yeah, it wasn't a cultural similarity though, necessarily. And yeah. there are, you know, there are white families where that is um, sort of a practice and it's more common, but not necessarily in his family as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll share. My kids um, are three-fourths, if we have to put it in that proportion, uh, Filipino and a quarter Chinese. Um, However, because my mother-in-law, who's of Chinese descent, um, grew up in the Philippines, um, although she did live in an island in a little town that was like a Chinese ethnic enclave in the middle of the Philippines, There is a lot of overlap in terms of language, and she knows, you know, she's grew up in the Philippines all her life, you know. So I sometimes am at a loss of figuring out how to uplift, I like the word you used, elevate, Andrea, the, you know, kind of Chinese heritage in them, other than recognizing that they're Chinese and making sure that when they introduce themselves, they acknowledge uh, that part of them um and so I looked to my husband and 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 you know I met my husband when we were in college and we weren't you know dating then so I've known him for like a very long time over 20 years and only when I first started dating him did I know he was half Chinese Mm -hmm. I was like kind of shocked I was like oh my gosh we had been involved in like uh, Filipino, you know, programs at, and groups at Cal. So I'm like, Oh my God, this boy is just from, and he's from San Diego, you know, he's like hundred percent. So I was like really shocked. And so now that I'm hearing and we're actually doing this podcast, I feel a little bit more motivated to figure out how do I do that in a way that feels respectful without feeling too clumsy about it, you know?
1: It's you know. also interesting when it's your partner's, like heritage and like what what role do you know like who takes the lead I guess in that kind yeah. of thing and I think usually yeah. like moms are ones who are passing down culture and so if it, when it's your culture it's a little bit more organic and easy to do but when it's your yeah. partner's culture it's hard to it, it's interesting yeah like how to navigate that
2: I mean obviously I don't know your mother-in-law's situation but I think it it's important to recognize like kind of the cultural what somebody identifies as like their cultural inheritance might not be totally linked to like their ethnicity or their race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think I mean that's definitely something that like that I've thought a lot about with my my father's family because um like my grandparents are like were Peruvian. Yeah. And they're Peruvian and Peruvian Japanese and, but like it was really significant for both of them that they were coming from Peru and not like Japanese American or, or like Japanese, you know what I mean? So like, I think that, that layer of culture was like something that you might not see. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking kind of like for a phenotype or something, but um but it's it definitely was significant. I think that was something that came out a lot in my family. Like, oh, we're not Japanese American. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. know that, like your people came from other places.
0: Yeah, 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 I, my mother-in-law for the first time in her life, um, in her older, when she was older, got to go back to China where her family's from. And she, wow. you know, this, you know as, a, as she was like well into her sixties by the time she got there. You know, and I think for her, it was like kind of this discovery too of like, oh, this is where my grandparents grew up, you know, her, you know, her grandparents. And so I, I always think that's pretty cool that she got to do that in old age because, you know, she immigrated to the U.S. Um, in her 20s and now got the chance to go back to where her family's from. And so, you know, I hope one day, too, my, my kids get to do that or have at least a desire uh, all throughout their life to to learn more right Mm -hmm. you know in different seasons of their life yeah
1: totally that's really interesting Andrea because it's sort of like for me the distinction between like Koreans and Korean Americans like looking at me you know like for maybe the untrained eye I may look Korean but my actual cultural inheritance is as a Korean American and so yeah that's a really interesting point like when you're sort of in a in between or um, like a different cultural space and mm-hmm. how that yeah yeah it's very thought provoking
0: yeah and we could talk about like what it means to be part of like the Bay Area culture or even Oakland culture. Mm-hmm. So you can even get more specific with right. location right and place and yeah, how definitely. that how that contributes to your you know identity. Right. Mm-hmm. Well you know we talked you talked a little bit about your partner's background and are there any like specific Customs or traditions uh that you you know share with your kids or make sure that you want to celebrate this or make it known uh as part of your raising up these, you know, kids who get to experience all these different um traditions.
2: Yeah. I mean on a superficial level, like my family loves a party, so we celebrate like (laughs) like, everything. Um, which is just fun right I mean we we have our little twist on everything but we celebrate Christmas we celebrate like a big Japanese New Year's at the like whatever American calendar New Year's but then we do Lunar New Year's in a Vietnamese tradition Mm -hmm. um there's yeah and then there are like smaller festivals and holidays throughout the year from both sides, I would say mostly like Japanese or Peruvian traditions that we, that we like to, we like to celebrate. But again, it's like, in large part, because my family likes a party, but I think on a deeper level, I think, you know, there are a lot of kind of shared values in terms of commitment to our communities and serving our communities, serving our elders, like you mentioned, Cheryl, um, and taking care of our, elders in our family, um, both like our parents and then our extended family, older uncles and aunties, um, who, who, you know, need help. Um, I feel like it's really important that my kids are connected to, to people of an older generation besides just my, my dad, um, or their grandparents on my partner's side. Um, so I mean, I think those are values that are not necessarily, I mean, obviously, they're not unique to our particular cultures, but they're, they're really important in our cultures and that we want to, we want to make sure that that's a part of their value system as well. Mm -hmm.
1: Shifting just a bit, Andrea, um, you've been an educator in Oakland for a while, so Um, a teacher and also as an administrator right and Mm -hmm. we're wondering like what was your journey to becoming an educator and were there things in your childhood or youth that sort of you know helped you know guide you down that path
2: yeah so I always kind of joke like my mom was a a teacher all my life Mm -hmm. and growing up I was like oh I'm definitely (laughs) doing that because that's too much work and my mom would like you know, start work at 10 o'clock when we went to bed and oh, yeah. that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. And I didn't rely on kids and, um, all <laughs> of that, but, <laughs> you know, things change. Um, when I was in college, I, I did some tutoring and work with kids. Um, and at that point it was kind of like a social justice thing for me. Mm-hmm. I was working with students, um, in a like low socio, economic kind of neighborhood, um, mostly Spanish speaking, and it was really important to me that you know, kind of we did our part as college students to mm-hmm. to try to um, support kids' education in that community. Um, when I came back here to the Bay, I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was like, I'm definitely working with immigrant families. I'm definitely like putting my Spanish to use, like, and if that, you know, whatever way I can help provide access because I'm bilingual, like Mm -hmm. that's really important to me. Um, and so I was kind of trying different things. Um, I worked at a Catholic worker house, um, done, um, in the '50s, um, off of International, mm-hmm. um, and it that house started as a as a refugee house, um, and so I lived there, I worked there, and did kind of accompaniment work, um, and ended up getting connected with a local elementary school, um, and did some kind of parent advocacy work there for a while, um, and through the course of that, I. I saw kind of the state of some students experience um, who didn't have language access, um, who, you know, students who are newcomers, students who didn't speak English. And I was kind of shocked, Mm -hmm. (laughs) honestly, um, because it was a school with a bilingual program, but if you happen to be in the wrong class or whatever, like you weren't getting the language support, and that kind of hooked me. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do this for a while so that, you know, I can help some kids out. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, actually the principal at that school ended up kind of pushing me into trying out teaching. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, I, I think language justice is really huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I And I think that's related to my upbringing. And, um, you know, when my dad came to the states he he didn't speak English at all and he kind of had the you know stereotypic experience um, back in the day of being like thrown into this English only class and like you know people trying to change his name and all of that mm-hmm. stuff um, and you know as a result like he doesn't speak Spanish very well very, anymore and that oh, was like wow. his primary language mm-hmm. um, so so yeah I feel, I feel really strongly that it's important that people are able to keep their, their family languages um, and, and build them up, Like mm-hmm. I feel kind of a public responsibility that, mm-hmm. that we are never
1: taking away children's language. Mm-hmm. So in your years as an educator, have you always worked um, in sort of like that space where there are, you know, English language learners, um, primarily from Spanish speaking families?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, in, in part, I think it's because that's like a small thing that I feel like I can contribute to those school communities, um, being able to to work bilingually and um, hopefully be a familiar and welcoming face um, to,
1: to schools that serve a lot of Spanish speaking families.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So being in OUSD for how many years has it been? Uh, I started in 1998. Okay. so In a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the lessons learned over two plus decades as an educator in the district? Um, You know, I'm sure there are highs and lows, and I'm sure we could do a whole episode about this question, but are there you know, some, some key moments and lessons that sort of stick out for you?
2: Well, I have to say, like, I just really lucked out in meeting the principal of my original school at the time that I did, because she, like, she was in it for a long minute and I really feel like she mentored me and mm-hmm. I mean at this point she's like my second mom. Um oh. so I think having like having strong relationships with with coworkers is is just essential I think mm-hmm. for staying in the long game um because it it can be hard work. Right. And you know like I I think Knowing that somebody has your back there, Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's somebody in power or it's somebody in the classroom next door, like having people who are your allies and knowing that you can lean on them is is super essential because the system isn't necessarily going to support you in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I mean, the other thing is just like you can count on it changing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My biggest takeaways are like you got to be scrappy. You got to be in it for the long game. Mm-hmm. right but you also got to be scrappy and you can't wait for anybody to like tell you it's time because it's never going to be time to somebody else like it's always you know you got to work on your timeline mm-hmm. i think and make things happen that you want to see happen and take that initiative um oakland is a place where you can make opportunity um but you nope, know, people rarely hand it to you mm-hmm. in this yeah district. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when you say that, Andrea, it makes me think that uh, the path of a teacher who can really have longevity in, the, in, the, in, this, in this town sort of mirrors like the kids, you know, sort of like what, it, what does it mean to, uh, you know, take initiative for the opportunity that Oakland brings and what does it mean to be scrappy and gritty mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and all the lessons um, that it teaches you. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think there there are a lot of ways that a teacher experience mirrors that of a kid's experience. The only thing is that most kids are stuck here for 12 or 13 yeah. years and most teachers get out after five. So yeah, yeah. I think that's something to think about too. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I my, my husband also has been a long-term uh, OUSD employee and um, it does take a very special, uh, I guess, perseverance. You know, uh, every year, like you said, is a struggle. The the rotation of your of your coworkers, you know, could really take its toll on folks who have been, especially if, if, especially if you've been at the school site for a very long time, it could really weigh you down. Um, but it is sort of magic when you do feel like you connect with your coworkers. I think in any field, honestly, Mm -hmm. especially in the, uh, you know, kind of this helping professions or social service professions, your coworkers really make a difference and really make it sort of um, make it worth it in some ways. I don't know, having those Mm -hmm. partners in it together. Yeah. Mm
1: Yeah. So if you had to choose three words to sum up your experience in OUSD. What would those words be and why? Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could just be one word. <laughs> Whatever you come up with.
0: You could do one word for each decade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, That's good. See let's see.
0: Maybe your first decade? Growth. Okay.
2: Um And actually, you know, like, in a lot of ways, that's, like, second and moving on to the third, too, because that is one thing about teaching and maybe in some ways, especially teaching in Oakland, is, like, there's always opportunity to grow and learn. Um, And, yeah, I, I, I think that's actually one of the reasons why I ended up, like, coming into education and staying because I could see that. Like, I'm not the, like... Person who's going to be doing the same thing Mm -hmm. five five years from now. Like I need it to change up. I need, you know, I need to keep learning and growing. And there is that opportunity um, in Oakland, and you know, in Oakland because everything else is changing around you all the time. And like the person that you call when you need this is new every month. Like there's also kind of like growth and flexibility that that's got to happen there. Otherwise, you're going to become obsolete. You know, there's like mushy words like heart, you Mm -hmm. know, like I mean, right now I'm working with some some parents who were my students and it's like kind of it's really kind of amazing to be like Uh Oh my god, what's up? Like you were my great student and now you're the mom that I'm meeting with. Like that's really kind of amazing. And people Uh who were like my partners as we were like starting you know, programs 20 years ago are, like, the grandmas who are coming to pick up their kids now in the program. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty sweet. Like, there's some legacy there. Like, not Mm -hmm. me, but us. That um, is really,
1: really sweet to, to see and experience kind of on a related note, like what are some of the big changes that you've seen in Oakland from an educator's perspective from when you began to now? I mean, we've had other people talk about like the increase in, like changes in Oakland generally, like like gentrification is there or the increase in um, homelessness. I mean, are, are those, are there kind of big changes that you've, observed being in the classroom for you know as long as you have been yeah um
2: I mean one really great thing I think has been the growth of dual immersion programs um when I first started like having a bilingual program was really controversial right and now Mm -hmm. like kind of one of the centerpieces of the school district is like there are all these dual immersion programs um so i think there's like some problematic sides to that about like who ends up going to those schools and kind of enrollment policies and things like that but just the fact that like bilingual opportunities have have actually expanded in Mm -hmm. OUSD in the last 20 years is is pretty awesome Mm -hmm. um and you know when i first came in it was like when we are talking about like bilingual programs being illegal and we're subverting the system if we're teaching bilingually. And now it's like, nah, man, these are like some of the most desirable schools in the district. That's Mm -hmm. like, that's Mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of kind of student and student issues, like in the schools that I work at just, there have been different waves of immigration. Um, Mm. And I think right now we're in a time when there's like, a lot of pretty intense migration-related trauma um, that we're mm-hmm. seeing in the classroom. I was talking about this with my 10-year-old daughter the other day. Like, at every morning, there's been, like, traumatic experiences as kids are coming from Central America. And it's kind of crazy because, like, when I started, right, that was, like, explicitly war-related. And now it's just, like, immigration policy-related. And, like... I think we've seen like the rise of gangs and kind of like domestic um, domestic violence. That's mm. totally like a result of United States policy. But it's like people are leaving Honduras, people are leaving Guatemala, Salvador because of, in a lot of cases, like insecurity. That's not a part of an explicit war, but the like sense of security is just like really low there um and i think there's something like that we have to recognize and like take responsibility for as like a united states Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that has supported the
1: exploitation
2: of some of that and definitely like some injustice systems that that are like kind of I don't know, the byproduct of civil wars Mm -hmm. that the United States was deeply involved in. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, we see it back in our classrooms, but they're experiencing it in home countries as well. Um, In terms of a more recent thing, I think kind of conversations about black reparations and like kind of a movement away from school police again, is something that's, that I think is really important and and kind of new. When I first came in to the district, there was a lot of kind of questioning the place of a school police versus a city police. Um, and that's, it's cycled back up, which I'm hopeful for, um, because now there's like this restorative justice kind of backbone that the district has, just a backbone. It's not fleshed out, I would say, but um, there's something to work with that I think it could could be profound.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, Andre, both you and your partner, you know, work in the field of education, right? And so um, just like you were talking about how y- your mom is, a, is an educator and somehow, oh, you became an educator yourself, you know, what are your, you think the chances are your kids will follow your footsteps?
2: Uh, good question. I have no idea, um, but I think there are some things that I've seen my kids do and say that make me kind of hopeful, not necessarily that they will go into education, but that like <laughs> that it hasn't been damaging that they've been like at school with me their whole life, <laughs> um, just in the sense of like I think they're both really like aware of like. Okay, what's the bigger picture here, right? Like mm-hmm. there's me, and I'm the center of the universe. but like what is happening around me and like how do I look out for the good of everybody?
0: Oh um, yeah, which
2: i I think, you know, like I think they they've seen that in some way because of the different roles they've seen me have at their school. Like I worked at their school for for a good number of years. Um, and so. You know, they had to wait around a lot while I was in a meeting or handling a phone call. But I think the good of that is, like, they really are, like, attuned to organizations and how organizations can support individuals and how we have to make decisions that are going to support, like, the group, even if it's not the most convenient or interesting for for me as an individual. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, My kids see their dad. They definitely know exactly what he does because they could say, Oh, what do your parents do for their job? And they're like, Oh, my dad's a teacher. And he's, and then they're like, He's like, and now he's like an assistant principal. So that means if the principal is sick, guess who becomes the principal? <laughs> but then when they um, ask me questions, they're like, um, What does your mom do? They have this like really big pause and they say, well, she tells me she has to go to meetings a lot, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, I think um I, I yeah, they really don't know what I do, um but I say that just because when you're a teacher, it's a profession that you you really learn like from the from the get go, mm-hmm. right you know it, it's it's i think it's it's kind of cool, like I think as like as a child, I really admired my teachers, so I naturally think yeah, I I think maybe I would be a teacher one day, you know? Um, And did, so when you became a mom, do you feel like your teaching or your presence uh, changed or even mutually, like, uh, you know, did your teaching influence you as a mom and your uh, becoming a mom, did it influence you as a teacher? Can you speak a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. Um, So I think definitely, like, being a mom has has changed my work a little bit in part because it's like now it's my work it used to be my life mm, um, yeah and I, like at first I I have to say like the first few years that was kind of a struggle for me because I'm like well I know I have this little person who's like 100% dependent on me but I got things to do um and I I think like I I've settled into like okay, I got to have boundaries because if I don't, like, I'm shortchanging my kids at home, right? And that's like, that's not cool. Um, So before I had, you know, 32 kids or 150 kids, however many kids I was teaching at that time. And now I have two kids and I'm, you know, trying to serve like all the other kids, but it's, it's a little bit of a shift for me um, in terms of my perspective on, on my work at the school um but also like the way I can relate to parents now is really different I'm like mm-hmm. I feel you I know it's tough to like try to get him to sit down and read at home um and I think like you know there's it's mutual like I think parents see me too as like oh yeah you know what it's like I'm like mhm uh-huh. I know mm-hmm. but like so I think there's there's a way that I can connect to parents differently and a little bit more like in a, I don't know, empathetic way um, that, that is significant. It feels like a good kind of good connection to be able to make. Um, whereas, you know, like when I was starting out, I was like, oh, we're cool. Like me and the kids were cool. And like, now I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm old enough to be your grandma and you really do need to sit down. Um, so yeah, I think the relationship has changed a little there. Um, but um, in terms of having kids, like I, like I said, like I've never been like, well, I won't say I never. Similarly to my my teaching trajectory, I was not one of those people who was twenty and like, when can I have babies? You know, I was like, oh no, nah, I got to do some growing up before I start to do mm-hmm. that. Um, but I think teaching has helped me grow up in those ways, right? Helped me see, like, beyond myself. And my sister's always joking. She's like, oh, you just put on the teacher voice. And then at school, they're like, oh, you just put on the mom voice. Yeah, both. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, you know, with COVID, it affected all of us, of course. And, um, but I I would say that it impacted um, the field of education in the most drastic way that you could ever imagine to the point where um, you sort of hear there's going to even be uh, a work shortage and young people may not want to enter the field of education um, these days, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, what advice would you give young professionals who still have this desire to enter this field of education? Or on the flip side, um, you know, what advice did you wish someone gave you when you first started
2: out here? I think to young professionals, just know that you're going to keep learning and growing like through this experience, like don't plan to have it all down in your first two years. And then like, you know, leave work at, 305 like you can do that but like to keep it fresh and to keep it real like we have to keep we have to keep working um and more than what our contract says we should and you know like we all put our energy into the things about it that we care about the most but like it's a field to keep growing in and to like i would encourage people to like Stay open to that possibility. Um, I also think, like I said before, like having your your little crew wherever you're working is super important, and like really think about it. Um, yeah, find your allies. Definitely don't cut people off because. It's going to come back to bite you. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you just, like, you got to be cool with everybody, you know? And what that means with different colleagues is going to be different. But, like, really try to mm-hmm. try to find your people and be cool with everyone else. Um, the only advice I could say I wish I had was, like, I wish somebody said, like, you're going to be in it long term.
1: Because mm.
2: I, you know, I don't know. I was 23, and I was, like... I'll do it until I find something else. But like, it kind of hooked me. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything else, like, like I said, like, I got to give props to the person who got me into this because I feel like she really gave me her time and support and to train me up to, to be able to stay.
0: Yeah. Wow. It just really speaks to the critical nature of mentorship,
2: right? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: And Something that um, I think in, in another episode we 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 uh, interviewed a, a lawyer who works in uh, the Fruitvale doing immigration law, and she talked also about mentorship hmm. and how, how that has impact to her and helps her sort of uh, kind of pay it forward, but also realize the that you really do need it, like you're saying, you really do need um, someone to. Um, also, you know, care for you and ask you how you're doing in that ways. who knows you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Who really knows you and, and knows what it's like to be there. Yeah. In the classroom. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially in these fields that are emotionally, can be emotionally taxing, mm-hmm. you know, working with um, people um, who have all sorts of different needs. I think mentorship and peers that you feel supported by are really key. So yeah, good things to take forward. Yeah. 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 When you're young, your teachers are just the, you know, like they're like gods <laughs> a little bit. You just, yeah.
0: you,
1: I, I remember all of my elementary school teachers, who knows if they remember me, but it's just um, the role of a teacher in a kid's life is so instrumental and Um, meaningful. So I'm sure that it was awesome for your students to run into you after all these years and be reconnected. Um, So just to close our interview, we wanted to ask if you would share with everyone some of your favorite Oakland restaurants and also um, a moment when Oakland felt like home.
2: Yeah, Um, I'll actually start with that second question. Um, When you When you mentioned it immediately, I I thought about like walking to work, walking to to my school and walking down international and like international. It's got its special things. Right. But like. They're like four blocks, basically, like coming up high street to towards my school, like walk down the street and like I know the shopkeeper there and I know that. Mm guy who's sweeping the front stoop there and like walking by and like you know just being like able to greet people and be like they know me they expect to see me here this morning I expect to see them and if I don't see them i like I noticed like that was a moment when Oakland felt like home like mm-hmm. um and then favorite eats. So I got to shout out there's this little restaurant called Nike Sushi, which is, I guess, like a this fancy ramen shop. Um, oh. And, and it's the, so the ramen shop has been in it. It's like in downtown Oakland. But during COVID, they started this little like takeout sushi thing. Um, and it's just, it's really good. And it's called Nike. And Nike is like, kind of the word that I've been playing with when it comes to like my identity because it's like it's not Japanese American or whatever it's like we got roots in the in Japan but you know we're from all over and we're all Nikkei Um,
1: that sounds delicious thank you for sharing
2: yes so we're done but I gotta tell you this story just real quick because because it's heck of funny one day I was coming to um, to your guys' church. And yeah. So I was walking down the street with my kids and there's this group of guys standing there on the side and and they're smoking out. So we come up to them and I look at them and I'm like, is that you? Guy yeah. was like my student when he was in middle school and now he's obviously a grown man. He's standing with this group of guys and he like throws his his blunt right behind his back and was like like it was really funny and i was like how's your mom his and the man was standing there holding a blunt behind his back yeah trying to play it off like he wasn't smoking wow on the street corner. I
0: was like, that goes deep. That discipline goes deep. It's internalized.
2: I, I was like, You think i never seen a man smoke a blunt First of all. <laughs> Second of all, you think you can hide that behind your back? When you're
1: on the As though it's scent free. It well, hilarious.
0: When uh, we were asking you uh, the words of, you know, to sum up your experience in OUSD, I was going to say I was going to let you borrow one of my husband's words, which is discount, because (laughs) wherever we go, we we always end up with a discount. We'll go to like poke salad. I go, wow, how'd you get this so cheap? Oh, well, my my student was what was was the cashier. So he gave me a discount. Right. And so we'll go there we'll go to like this other restaurant. Hey, Mr. So-and-so. And and he goes, yeah, okay. I'll I'll hook you up with the discount. Like it's like everywhere we go, uh, there's always the discount. So I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. That's like what, so for the teachers out there, if you're there for the long haul, you will get the discount too.
1: (laughs) Gives a little financial incentive, huh? (laughs)
0: Yes, yes. But it's true. They're like super grown um, and they do kind of like, I don't know, their posture changes uh, when my husband rolls around and they say, do you remember me? And my husband will be like, give me like a second. And he says the last name. I don't know. He's like, I'm not good with first names, but I know your last name. And so he'll just say the last name of the student. Right. Yeah.
1: Are there like random places that you've run into students like outside of Oakland or?
0: he had the experience of Andrea, of uh, a parent, his, 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 one of his students is now a parent of one of the kids at our school. So, Uh, you know, like, uh yeah. So like when we're going to, you know, back to school night or whatever, he, Mm -hmm. he knows, yeah, that's like, that's my student from 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And then I think about, you know, all the students that you have taught andre over the years like if you taught 22 years and it may not be in classroom every year mm-hmm. and average how many average students do you have like a hundred you know uh, if you were teaching middle school science or middle school mm-hmm. math times 15 at least it's that's a lot of students that's the number but, of
2: kids yeah
0: yeah that's in the thousands right mm-hmm. and so i always think it's pretty amazing for um, teachers who've been in the field for so long to have that kind of impact on such a generation of of people. That's
2: true. I got a call, actually, Sarah, to, to your... I got a call last spring from this girl who, well, young woman, and she was like, so I got your number from my old teacher so and so and he said I should talk to you because I'm in Hawaii now and I'm looking to start a nonprofit organization
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the extended day program that y'all made at my school was so influential for me when I was in middle school that like I immediately thought about you guys when I was like starting to plan my program and I was like what like that was kind of cool Mm -hmm. so she's like she did her thing she graduated in oakland she went to the army did her service and then landed in hawaii and settled there and went to school and now she's like looking at youth development work Mm. um wow yeah that was kind of a cool hookup because that was like she was never directly my student but she was a student in this program that i was running for a few years um Mm -hmm. which is probably like one of the things i'm most proud of but it it's so like it's so cool to see like you know even when even that one-off right like i was writing a grant and like teach coaching teachers and then like this kid is now like planning a program based on like what she saw as trying to do for mm-hmm. her and her yeah. classmates. Like, that's kind of
0: yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always think um, it's kind of cool that your relationship, once the student is not your student anymore, you can maintain. Some kind of relationship like even being facebook friends right mm-hmm. as a therapist i can never do that i that's why i don't have a facebook because i don't want my my old clients to look me up and try to be like hey remember me <laughs> um, i hide whenever i see my clients in the community i hide behind my husband hmm. and my husband be you know be like hey what's up you know you know so it's like super different so as a lawyer sarah when you were um in the public defender's office when you saw clients what is the role that you take or what is, what do the ethics say you should or should not be oh, doing? Oh, you shouldn't, you
1: shouldn't like yeah, say anything. I mean, if someone, I, I didn't see people out and about too often, but um, I would wait for someone to approach me. And if they yeah. wanted to talk, then um, I would. The funniest person I saw in that context though, is um, <laughs> your across the street neighbor was in court with a friend he wasn't there yeah. for his own case yeah and then like and then like years later he came up to me and said oh were you at the were you a public defender I remember seeing you in the courtroom <laughs> you know the neighbor I'm talking about yes yes
0: <laughs> and I'm guessing you wouldn't be Facebook friends no. with your former clients that you represent
1: no no so yeah they're um it would be funny if if, you know, it's been a while since I was in that office, so it would be kind of funny if I ran into someone now or someone approached me now, but um, yeah. Yeah,
0: we wouldn't get the discount. It depends on how you dwell you did, Sarah, if you got the discount or not.
1: <laughs> well, remember, my, my clients were not working, so I, I, if they were working, that would be a good thing, and I wouldn't ask them for a discount. <laughs> I should give them an extra tip because I'd be happy that that they would no longer qualify for the services of the public defenders. Oh, nice. Wow.
0: Yeah, that would be good. Well, uh, thanks for this extra bonus
2: stories. (laughs) I
0: really enjoy them. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thanks for joining us again.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
1: Take care and don't forget to call your mom.